Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And before we get started on today's episode, I want to, of course, remind everyone of the giveaway we are doing. All you have to do is leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts to be entered into a $50 giveaway. And I really want to point something out that's been brought to my attention by a few people. Um, A few episodes back, Austin made a joke about how if you don't know how to leave a review, basically don't bother. And it was a funny joke. And that's not what's been brought to my attention. Some people actually have had an issue <laughs> trying to figure out how to leave a review. No Because it's tricky. So, Sorry, guys. So when you go to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and you are looking at the list of episodes, you just scroll all the way to the bottom, and that's where you find the reviews. It is kind of in a weird spot, so I'll give you that. I don't think Austin even knew that. I'm assuming you didn't. I didn't know, guys. Yeah, so don't take it personally if you couldn't figure it out and you didn't want to say something, but I actually have had a few people be like, okay, I'm not dumb, but I do have trouble finding where to leave reviews. But you're smart because you have a chance to win 5,000 pennies and you asked. Yes. So there's no such thing as a stupid question. Cha-ching. All right. Let's get straight into it today. Today. Is it Friday? Yes. This drops on Friday. This will drop on Friday. Friday morning. Everybody have a great day. Uh-huh. And a great weekend. And a fantastic Friday and weekend. Okay, let's get into it. So today we are talking about the disappearance of Kara Kapetsky and Jessica Runyons. Have you heard about these two people at all? No, but all I know is this is a semi-local case for us in uh-huh. Kansas City. That's where we're from, everybody. And so... Yeah. We're from a little bit north of Kansas City, but still within that realm. So anything that's in Kansas City really hits home. Um, this story begins in Belton, Missouri. So it's 2007, and Kara Kapetsky is 17 and a junior at Belton High School. She was known by friends and family as a very outgoing, independent, sometimes rebellious teen. Kara had plans to attend community college once she graduated, and although she was known to skip school sometimes, she was still very responsible at her job, at Popeye's, and she never missed her shifts. Her mom said she only missed one shift, and it was because she was sick. So on the day of Friday, May 4th, 2007, Kara called her mom from school to ask if she would wash her uniform so it would be ready for her shift later that day. She also told her mom she left a textbook at home that she needed for school, so her mom brought it to school for her and just left it at the front office. But as the day went on, Kara never returned home from school and then never showed up for her shift at work. So... Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just tuned in, guys. I'm pretty tired, I'm not going to lie, so I'm just kind of listening tonight. Yeah, and I am too, so it's, it's fine. So, Kara's mom, Rhonda, begins to get worried. She's trying to call Kara, but her phone is going straight to voicemail. She calls the school, and her husband, Jim, actually goes to the school to see if he can find Kara, but nobody is there. The campus is completely empty. So at that point, it's 5 p.m., and Rhonda calls the police. She reports Kara as a missing child, but police don't seem to take her very seriously considering her rebellious past, and she gets the feeling that the police are just considering her to be a runaway. She actually recalls the police saying something along the lines of, she's a teenager, she's probably just mad, and they just brush it off. casual. Yeah, yeah, no big deal. She's just casually missing. Yeah, no big deal at all. And this is only the beginning of the frustration that you're going to have for the Belton Police Department specifically. And I hate to call them out. You know, I 
I admire police. I admire what they do. Like I was named after a police officer. So I have the utmost, utmost respect for the good police officers, but with every profession, there are just some bad eggs. And I think in this case, we had a couple bad eggs. You'll see. So Rhonda has a really bad feeling, and she tells the police that Kara and her boyfriend had been having issues. Her boyfriend, Kyler, had recently been abusive with Kara, so Rhonda took Kara to file a protective order against him just days prior on April 30th. On the request, Kara, and I just realized her name is Kara, sorry, Kara wrote on Saturday, April 28th, kidnapped, restrained, one month ago, choked me. December of 06, had knife in hand and said, I'm going to slit your motherfucking throat. March of 07, wouldn't let me out of my home, end quote. Under that description, she wrote that she was requesting a protection because, quote, I'm unsure of what he will do next because the abuse has gotten worse over time, end quote. On the night of April 28th, Kara was leaving work when Kyler showed up and forced her into his vehicle after she refused to hang out with him. He then drove her around and eventually let her out around uh, Grandview, Missouri, about six miles away. This order of protection was granted and served to Kyler on May 1st, just a few days before Kara, Kara, sorry, Kara, I know so, I know too many Karas and Karas, it's Kara, just a few days before Kara disappeared. So after reviewing the security footage from school that day, Kara is seen leaving the school around 9.19 a.m. Where she was going remains unclear, and how she left remains unclear as well. Nobody knew if she walked somewhere or was picked up. Her mom, however, knew something was horribly wrong and that she did not just run away. Her clothes and other personal belongings were still at home, like her money, her keys, and her iPod. Friends and family began going door-to-door, searching for Kara and handing out flyers. On May 5th, the day after Kara went missing, police check back in with Kara's parents, and they tell the police they still haven't heard from Kara. So the following day, the police are able to make contact with Kyler to see if he has any idea where Kara might be. Kyler said that his last contact with her was on the 3rd. Kyler told police he got a phone call from Kara on the day she disappeared, but that he did not answer it, and that when he tried to call her back, she did not answer. When police requested Kara's phone records, however, they were able to find that Kyler was lying. The records showed that Kara called Kyler at 9.13 on May 4th, and he called her back at 9.20. Kara did answer the phone, and the phone call lasted about 20 minutes. Problems. This phone call came just one minute after Kara was seen leaving the school. So it, le- it seems a little too coincidental that she'd be leaving the school right as she's receiving a phone call from Kyler. And he lied about it. Mm-hmm. And he lied about it. So, see, in my opinion, if you lie, if you lie, you're like, like very, very rarely does somebody lie and they're they're innocent. You lie because you're guilty. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you're innocent, you should have nothing to hide. Right. So when police confronted Kyler with this information, he continued to stick to his story, denying that he ever talked to her on May 4th, the day she went missing. In the interview, he did admit that he kidnapped her on the 28th, which was the incident that prompted the order of protection. He told police he was just upset with Kara because she was dating other guys and wanted to break up with Kyler. 
Police asked Kyler if he had ever physically abused Kara, and at first he denied ever abusing her, but later admitted that he'd grabbed her by the arms a few times, but that was it. So May 9th, 2007, Kara was supposed to go pick up her paycheck at Popeye's, but she never did. A few weeks later, on June 1st, police searched Kara's locker at Belton High School. They found her wallet with her debit card and also find that there has been no recent activity on her bank account since the day she disappeared. Holy cow. Several months go by when police decide on July 23rd to pay Kyler another visit. Kyler tells them that he and Kara were arguing the night before she went missing on May 3rd about a friend she had coming to town who she was planning on hanging out with. So police tracked down this friend, and he was from St. Louis, and allegedly he confirmed to police that he was supposed to be with Kara the weekend after she went missing, but she never answered any of his phone calls. He also claimed that he had no idea she was even missing when they interviewed him. So I don't know what kind of friend. This all sounds so sketchy. It's so sketchy. That every, it just... every bit of what you just said, like I go back and recount it, mm-hmm. I'm not going to despair everybody time, but every bit of what you just said sounds sketchy. So sketch. Yeah, very. Why did they wait three months to go talk to him again? She's been gone for three months. Oh, you just wait, Austin. It gets worse. So another witness later comes forward with some information regarding the case. Apparently, this person told police that on May 4th, the day Kara disappeared, she called him to ask if she and Kyler could come hang out with him. He told Kara he was too busy, but he told police that Kyler came to his house later that day around 1230 to smoke a cigarette, and Kara was not with him. He then told police that Kyler called him crying and said not to tell anyone that he was with Kara or that they were together earlier that day because of the protection order. When this witness tried to call Kara later that day, all the calls went straight to voicemail and were never returned. So at this point, it's looking like Kyler is likely a suspect, if, if not at least a person of interest in the case, but there's just not enough evidence apparently to charge him with anything regarding Kara's disappearance. Years would go by without a trace of Kara, and finally in April of 2010, a new witness was interviewed by police. This witness was roommates with Kyler in 2007 and also played in a band with him. The witness told police that approximately six to eight months before this interview, he was having a conversation with Kyler about relationships when Kyler told him not to get attached to girls and he started talking about Kara and how, quote, she wouldn't love him and he was angry. Then Kyler admitted to him that he had snapped and something bad had happened to Kara, but he wouldn't say what. However, even with this evidence, Kyler remained a free man. The following year, on January 22nd of of 2011, police were contacted by another witness. This witness told police that Kyler confessed to killing Kara by choking her to death and then packing up her body and putting her in the woods. This same witness contacted police again on February 4th and said that Kyler came over to her house and again confessed confessed to choking Kara to death and described watching her breathe her last breath before placing her in the woods. I have goosebumps because it's so infuriating. Mm -hmm. Like the whole, everything about it right now. Yeah. This witness is saying like, this is what Kyler told me. Keep walking free. I don't understand what they have to have to get people as a person of interest at least, or like, 
or to like con- Ta- detain them. Detain I them, guess. whatever the word is. Like, yeah, I I don't know. What more would you need? What I guess a body. What more would you I mean, need bef- by by the time the the guy lied about the phone call right about the same time she left, mm-hmm. and then you know the evidence of him kidnapping her and many yeah, I kidnapped her before. Like mm-hmm. problems. Yeah, they like, had what, issues. Week one? Yes. So six months later. So we're what four years later now? Damn near. Yeah. Yeah. On August 19th of 2011, another witness comes forward. Different person. Different person. Each time I'm saying another witness, it's a new person. Okay. This time it's one of Kyler's ex-girlfriends who happens to be pregnant. She told with Kyler's baby, by the way, she's pregnant with Kyler's baby. She tells police Kyler was violent with her, choked her, and bragged to her that he had killed girlfriends in the past out of sheer jealousy and wouldn't hesitate to do the same to her. She filed a second protection order against Kyler. So this is the second protection order against Kyler that exists. According to police, this witness lived with Kyler and another roommate. So they bring in this other roommate for an interview on October 5th of 2016, five years after the girlfriend came forward, nine years after Kara went missing. Nine years later. Yes. This roommate told police that three and a half years earlier, Kyler told him he choked Kara to death and no one would ever find her body. Then a sixth witness comes forward as well. Why are they not getting him? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. And it gets worse. So a sixth witness comes forward saying that in 2012, Kyler discussed picking Kara up from school that day that she went missing because she had an argument with her teacher. Kyler told this witness as well that they were having relationship issues and got into a physical altercation when he choked her out. This witness also recounted Kyler describing the scene as he watched Kara take her last breath. So this dude now, he's nine years walking. Mm-hmm. Everybody's telling on him. There's been six now witnesses. He, he doesn't care. He's like out here lunatic. He might as well make a Facebook status about it. Yeah. Here's what I did. Here's how I did it. Here's Six how it people felt. Described it the same. Six people. Then in 2013, oh Kyler was arrested on drug trafficking charges. He pleaded guilty and was sentenced to three years and nine months in federal prison. On March 28th of 2016, a seventh witness comes forward, and this time it's a cellmate of Kyler's at the Oklahoma Correctional Facility. This, in what year? This is 2016. Oh Yeah. Almost 10 years later, this cellmate contacted Belton police to say that after Kyler asked him, or I'm sorry, to say that Kyler asked him to get an alibi and admitted to killing Kara by strangling her and disposing of her body. Still, Kyler gets released from prison on September 2nd of 2016 on supervised release. So we have seven people unrelated with the same exact story that Kyler has told them. So who makes the decision on this? Like who makes the decision? Usually it's every the DA or the prosecuting. To say, like to say, don't worry about it. Shrug it off. I don't, I don't get that. Well, I, I mean, ultimately the decision to press charges, I think, and if you know law, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's up to like the DA, the district attorney when it, when it's charges like this. Right. Um, but 
ultimately to, to investigate. I mean, it starts with the investigators. The investigators have to gather the evidence and put it all together and present it, I think. So, I mean, there's just a lot of balls being dropped here because I don't know whatever uh, happened the, after these interviews. So what's going on with Kara's family throughout this whole time? Are they, like, grieving and... Oh, they're grieving. They believe that um, Kyler is responsible and... All they but can do is sit and wait because life, they can't find Kara. They they have benefits and um, like events remembering her and trying to keep the word out, you know, to look for her. There were billboards and flyers. I mean, her face, you know, it's on our Instagram page, but you couldn't go around Kansas City without seeing her face on a billboard somewhere. Really? Yeah, it went on for a really long time. So seven times witnesses came forward with the exact same story of Kyler running his mouth about this murder. And for whatever reason, he's still not being held accountable. Um, It makes no sense. And it just sounds like the investigators really dropped the ball here. So on September 8th of 2016, Kyler has been out of prison for only six days when he attends a party with a friend of his and his friend's girlfriend out in Grandview, Missouri. Witnesses at the party say that Kyler was drinking a lot at this party and that he was acting really possessive over his friend's girlfriend, Jessica, even though Jessica wasn't his girlfriend. Kyler was starting to get really out of hand, acting aggressively towards other people at the party as well. Clearly, he wasn't handling his alcohol well, so Jessica decides to take him home. They leave the party around 11 p.m. in Jessica's black 2012 Chevy Equinox. Equinox? Equinox. The next morning, Jessica is supposed to meet her mom for a doctor's appointment, and she never showed up. Her mom, concerned, start, starts calling friends of Jessica's to see if anyone has seen her, and all anyone knew was that she left the party with Kyler the night before. That night, a family member called the police department to report her missing, but we're not sure who that was. And after not hearing from Jessica for an entire day, her mom, Jamie, contacts the Belton Police Department to report her missing on the 10th. Prior to Jamie calling the police to report Jessica missing, the Kansas City Fire Department responds to a call at 1.41 a.m. of a burning SUV in Jackson County, which is within the area, just in case you're not from Kansas City. But the vehicle was determined to be Jessica's, but Jessica was not in the vehicle. That same day, Jessup Carter, Kyler's stepbrother, called Belton police and allegedly said he was just with Kyler and that Kyler told him he strangled and killed Jessica and that, quote, she was gone. Kyler also allegedly told Jessup that he dragged Jessica's body into a wooded area and asked Jessup to burn the car. He also told police that he was with Kyler when he set Jessica's car on fire and that Kyler had burns on his hands and his face. Then Jessup said he took Kyler to his house in Edwards, Missouri to allow him to heal from the burns and then immediately called police to tell them what he knew. Finally, police take action. They go to Jessup's house the next day on September 11th of 2016 at 9.36 a.m. to serve a search warrant and take Kyler into custody. According to police, Kyler had burns to his face and hands, which matched Jessup's story. So Kyler was arrested for burning Jessica's car, but not for her murder. In his mugshot, you can actually see the burns to his face. And I'll put it on the Instagram page, mama.mystery, so you can see how stupid he looks. But it looks like a bad flash burn. Like maybe the car kind of exploded in his face because you can see around his eyes where he probably like squinted his cheeks really hard and there's like white lines from the creases on his face. 
Seven months went by without a trace of where Jessica or Kara are located. When on April 3rd, 2017, which pause real quick. This is the like second case in a row where a break happens on my birthday. Like it's not important. It's pretty weird. But it's just odd. But hey, just so you know. <laughs> but hey, just so you know. Shameless plug. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. But like it does just seem odd that the past few cases I didn't realize that. But when I see that date, I'm like, that's weird. It's interesting. But uh, anyway, on April 3rd, 2017, a mushroom hunter came across a set of remains in the woods near 233rd Street and Y Highway in Cass County. One set of remains was identified within a couple days as Jessica Runyon's, but the other set was much older and took more time to identify. The older set would later be identified on August 16th of 2016 as Kara Kapetsky. And with that, Kyler was finally charged for the murders of Kara Kapetsky and Jessica Runyon's and an additional two counts of abandonment of a corpse. Dude killed two people and walked for years. Yeah. And to think if something would have happened, if these interviews would have meant something to police and investigators, Jessica Runyon's would still be alive. Right. Seven people came forward. Yeah. All these people came out to try and help investigators. What the fuck happened? Unreal. Yeah. So the following year, while Kyler's stepbrother Jessup was serving time for arson, he was found dead in his cell. Jessup was likely going to be a star witness in this trial, so his death was a very suspicious, but police did not say whether he died of suicide or any other means. So I still don't know how his brother died. Stepbrother, either way. And then in June of 2018, Kyler pleaded not guilty, of course, and his attorneys requested that the that the trial be held somewhere else due, the, due to the publicity of the case. But the judge denied this request. However, he compromised by allowing jurors from St. Charles, Missouri, which is near St. Louis, to be brought in for the trial. His attorneys would continue to try more tactics to delay the trial, like claiming Kyler is mentally incompetent to stand trial. And while I'm not arguing that he is incompetent, I think this piece of trash has gotten away with these murders for long enough and it's time for him to pay the price. I don't understand. Like, here's the deal. How do these attorneys sleep at night knowing what they're defending okay i had a conversation have some aren't there attorneys out i'm sure there are just like you said about any profession aren't there attorneys out there that have morals and say you know what i'm not going to defend this idiot and Mm -hmm. when you go sit down with an attorney after you murdered somebody do you tell them hey listen so here's the deal i did murder this person I need you to have my back or are you lying to the attorney too? Because you got, right. I would think you tell the attorney the truth. So then the attorney can come up with their story for you, but then are they an accomplice? I don't know anything. I'm just, I, you know what? If I just had a conversation with a client about this today, um, about if I would rather be a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney, I would much rather be a prosecuting attorney because there's no way I could defend people who commit crimes like this. And it's, it's like the Casey Anthony case, how her lawyer was able to come up with this bogus, bogus story for her and ended up getting her off. Like she was acquitted of all those charges, clearly, definitely killed her daughter, but had a good enough defense attorney that he was able to convince a jury that there was enough doubt that she and didn't do it. you know he goes to home, goes home and knows 
Yeah, she did it. But yes. That's what that's I don't... That's what I'm saying. That's why I don't understand how you could How do, do you sleep at night? If, yeah. As a defense attorney defending people like, like this who plead def- not guilty, how can you defend somebody Who killed like two that? people. Yeah. Killed, this dude killed two women. Two young girls. Kara was 17. Jessica Runyon's was 21. Been in trouble with drugs. I mean, he's just trash. Through he's through. a trash human. And Garbage then, human. And then that... That's crazy. Anyways. So yeah, I don't know. So what happened? How did I don't know it? either. But um, anyway, his new trial is set for April 5th of 2021. He's not even... It hadn't even been yet. He's, he's hasn't been tried yet, but I'm eager to see how this all plays out, and I'm sure we'll have some updates when that time does come. I pray to God he does um, get found guilty because I think the punishment is going to be way worse. If he's pleading not guilty and he's not taking a plea deal, there's a chance he could get a much more severe punishment what's if the, he's found guilty. But what's the more severe punishment? Here's the deal: he's going to get what two lives in prison with no parole? Maybe they're I don't not know. Gonna, they're not going to give him the death penalty. I don't know. That's nuts. And what's worse, life's in prison, no parole, or the death penalty? You know, honestly, I would prefer to see someone rot than put them to death, but I don't know. At the same time, I always think, and maybe this is like a weird thought in my brain, but like, I just don't think that person deserves to ever laugh at a joke or feel the contentment from a good meal. Yeah, exactly. A solitary unit, and that should be their punishment for life. Yes. Because I feel like there's a big difference between life in prison and life in the shoe. Right. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. And you, you know, obviously prisons vary (laughs) in the, in the niceness of it, I guess. Yeah. So Bernie Madoff's at like a freaking camp. Yeah. And, uh, what's his name? Jeffrey Epstein was at a camp also, and he was allowed to leave 12 hours out of the day. Anyway, that's another case, but go back and listen to that episode if you haven't, because that's a crazy one. Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. It's a doozy. That's wild. We got to stay updated on this one. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm um, eager. I, I don't want to say excited. I don't think that's the appropriate word. I'm eager to see how this trial plays out. I'm already eager to see how a jury, um, you know, decides his fate. And I hope that he just rots, rots. If you guys enjoyed this episode, share it away with your friends because that's that's what helps us grow. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Mama, Mister. Bye.